Blog Talk Radio. Today we're going to have a very interesting show with the same person we spoke with last week, Nayara Isley, who is something of an expert on alien abductions and shadow governments and the like. So let's open the line without any further ado and speak with her. Trying to open the line. Hello? Hello. Yeah. Hi. I'm just having Hi. a hard time with computers this morning. Okay. How are you? Um, don't have the tail end of this cold hanging on, but uh, other than that, doing well. Okay. Can I tell you something strange that happened since the last time I spoke with you? Sure, please. Remember I said, do you think aliens can speak to people telepathically and teach them things? Yes. You mm-hmm. said yes. Mm-hmm. Um. I had a really funny thing happen, and it didn't occur to me how strange it was until many hours later as I was trying to fall asleep that evening. But Monday, I went to a Whole Foods store and was sitting around eating pudding. And and I'm in Houston, where there are more foreign people than there are anywhere else in the United States, even New York City. People don't realize that, but there are a lot of people from foreign countries here. And a couple that was sitting near me caught my eye because they looked so strange. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really notice until the woman knocked something off the table and squatted down to clean it up. And when she laughed, her laugh sounded like bells tinkling. Wow. So I, she caught my attention. And as I looked at her, she her jacket fell off her shoulder, and it's 38 degrees outside that day. She was wearing a tube top. Wow. And they both had very long, dark, curly hair, uh, thick, curly hair, completely covering their ears. And I looked at her skin on her back and shoulder and was just kind of taken aback because it was so pure and so pale and had no freckles, no pimples, no blemishes of any kind. I could see most of her upper back and shoulder. And I was just, my eyes just kept getting bigger as I looked at her skin because there was light coming out of her skin. I mean, she was like glowing mm-hmm. way beyond what's normal for most people I encounter. Yeah. And I really was, my brows were knit and I was looking at her like, whoa, where are these people from? Mm-hmm. And the man noticed that and said to me, is that chocolate pudding you're eating? And I said, oh, yes. And we started talking about the pudding and my fav- which one was my favorite, and they were out of it. And I said, don't tell anybody about my favorite. It's always gone if I don't get here in the morning. And the woman turned and said, we're not from around here, so we won't be telling anyone about the pudding. <laughs> she was, oh, wow. Um, mm, there was something very, I have to say, otherworldly about them. And a few minutes later, they got up and turned to me, and both of them folded their hands and nodded to me and said, we are leaving now. I said, oh, okay. And they turned and walked away, and I looked back down at my pudding, and three seconds later, I looked back up and I, because I thought, you know, they walked in the opposite direction of the door. I looked back up, and they were gone. They were nowhere yeah. to be seen. Well, so it wasn't till that evening that I began to think about other things that were strange, like they were both wearing the same color. Every stitch of clothing on them was sort of a steel blue. Mm-hmm. And they looked a lo- enough alike to be brother and sister. Mm-hmm. And they radiated this really clean, pure energy. So I think I saw a couple of Pleiadians, but I'm also I might be crazy. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it's best to, you know, 
just kind of file those things away under in a file folder in your mind that says, I don't know until uh-huh. I get more information. Right. Um, but uh, Robert Dean, Robert Sergeant, uh, Sergeant Major Robert O. Dean, uh, often has been quoted as saying that he thinks that ETs are walking around among us down here. Oh, yeah. And he says that there is a group that looks exactly like us and that they could pass for any of us. You know, they could pass for humans. And, uh, and that's what so, Shirley MacLaine said in her books, too, when she spoke of the Pleiadians who had contacted her. Yes. Mm-hmm. They look like us, but their ears are different. And these people's ears were covered. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think that it, I think it does occur. And... Um, you had mentioned uh, telepathy. Uh, what was the telepathic uh, message that you felt that you got? Well, I've been, getting just telepathic, I've been getting telepathic messages from people from Sirius, which is mm-hmm. pretty much covered on that Adena website. But these people were telling me they were leaving verbally, but what I heard in my head was, we're leaving out the front door now. Oh, we're going out the front door, and I looked down, and I realized they'd walked in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And I also have reached a point where I can pick up energetically things about people, like the level of uh, psychological clarity, mm-hmm. like of how much work they've done on themselves. And these people radiated purity. They didn't have issues. Mm-hmm. Light was coming off of them. So anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's an extraterrestrial being channeled through Daryl Anka named Bashar, and um, I very much enjoy listening to Bashar. And one of the things that uh, I really enjoy about him is his uh, energy is just so exuberant and unrestrained. It's like um, on our planet, we kind of tend to tone our energy down because we don't want it to be too much for the people around us. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is not what I get when I listen to him. He's just exuberant, and he's uh, so pleased to be able to speak to people. And uh, he's just a, an amazing being. And he says some pretty amazing things too that uh, coincide with a lot of my own realizations over the last uh, fifteen, twenty years. Hmm. So where do you go to listen to that? Well, there are some. Uh, some things on YouTube that they have of Bashar's. And, um, How do you spell Bashar? Bashar. Uh, it's B as in boy, A-S-H-A-R. Okay. And uh, for any of the scientific people out there <laughs> listening to this, I believe that Bashar has also been asked to sit down and talk with scientists because some of the information that he has is so precise and so um, it, it is scientific in nature. So I do believe that he's actually been questioned by some scientists as well. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever followed um, Lee Carroll's channeling's cryon of magnetic service, but he has predicted many, many things that the scientists are about to discover, and my understanding is that privately several of them have talked with him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think there's more of that going on than most scientists are going to admit at this mm-hmm. point in time anyway. Well, what, there is actually ahead. a very well-known example of that. Um, Jay-Z Knight uh, channeling, uh, what is the being that she channels? <laughs> Ramsa. <laughs> on a blank here. Hmm? Ramsa, yes. Um, they had Ramsa in the movie What the Bleep Do We Know? Uh-huh. Uh, with all those scientists talking about quantum physics and... Uh, uh, quantum mechanics and, and observer effect, and uh, they had her or him, you know, talking right alongside the scientists in that film. And they were indistinguishable. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did speak with a filmmaker about that. They had a, um, the first time it was shown in Houston was at a film festival, and I spoke with him and said, oh my God, I couldn't tell the difference between Ramtha and the scientists. He said, that was the point. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I know. That was quite a film. So, you know, one of the things we were going to talk about today is shadow governments and what their function is and your theories Mm -hmm. about how they got formed. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want to get into that? I do if you do. Sure. Okay. Um, well, let's take the dive. <laughs> um, first off, I want to preface what I'm going to say by saying that I think uh, shadow factions, uh, people in secret societies that try to control and exert power and probably have done a really good job uh, from a secret society standpoint, those kinds of organizations have been with us uh, likely since the beginning of human history. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the, shadow gov- the roots of the shadow government uh, probably go back very, very far. Um, what I'm going to talk about today is our United States of America and uh, tracking the problems that we have with our government uh, back to um, at least one specific event uh, that probably gave some of these secret society folks uh, a means to begin to control a country that was based on principles of freedom. Um, What happened, uh, so just knowing that they're there, you know, um, we will take the fact that in July uh, 1947, we had the Roswell crash mm-hmm. in Roswell, New, Mex- New Mexico, and uh, and that has been extremely well researched over the years. Many, many, many people have come forward and testified and uh, offered their accounts of events that happened in Roswell around the time of the uh, UFO crash there. Um, one of the things that has been surmised uh, is that it was the 509th bomb wing was was a bomb wing that was authorized to carry nuclear weapons. And uh, nuclear testing began, and with nuclear testing also started coming uh, more and more UFO sightings. And uh, remind me to go back to that point in a little bit. I don't want to wander too far away from what we're getting to here. Um, So uh, basically what happened was we had the Roswell crash. Uh, The Roswell paper reported it as a UFO crash. And then a few days later, they rescinded that and they said, oh, it's just a weather balloon. Mm -hmm. And they did this whole cover-up. Well, this is July of 1947. Uh, Two short months later, in September of 1947, uh, President Truman signed into law the National Security Act of 1947. This National Security Act of 1947, uh, which I will also mention is is well detailed in the books of Richard Dolan. Uh, He is a historian who has taken on uh, documenting the history of UFOs and UFO cover-up. He's really done some brilliant work, and he has a book out there called uh, UFOs in the National Security State, and he's just published volume two of the same title. Spell his uh, last name for Yeah, in very meticulous detail covering uh, some of this material about the National Security State that was created by the National Security Act of 1947. Spell his last name for us so that we can find those Oh, books. yes. Um, his last name is spelled D-O-L-A-N. Okay, good. Richard Dolan. Okay. And uh, so with the creation of the National Security Act of 1947, basically uh, an impenetrable curtain of secrecy was created within our government Uh, behind which that curtain of secrecy, people could work on uh, the different uh, kinds of technology that they got their hands on from the Roswell crash and other crashes, uh, UFO crashes, that were not so well publicized or were much more effectively covered up. Um, And I'm I'm certainly not the, the final expert on this, but I do believe that what happened Excuse me. I do believe what happened um, was they began studying and researching the technology, trying to find out more about it, and um, powerful people being what they are, you know, um, they sometimes have ways to buy their way into things. 
So basically, we also had um, an automobile industry uh, coming of age in this uh, country, and uh, oil was oil made people very rich and very powerful very quickly. So people that are attracted to power got themselves into those positions. And uh, sorry about some of the us here. I'm just uh, having okay, a little bit of with thinking. this cold. So what happened from there was um, powerful people were privy to this information about the UFO crashes, about the technology. They were trying to figure out how it works. They were trying to back engineer it which is basically take it apart, study everything about it, and then uh, build it themselves. Um, I do believe they've had some success with this. Um, one of the things I think that works against them is because in the military industrial complex, uh, people do things on a need-to-know basis. That was one of the things that was uh, brought uh, up to me when I was in the military myself, which is the need-to-know basis. And basically what it does is it compartmentalizes knowledge into a few little uh, pockets here and there. And sometimes people in, in two different pockets of different differing knowledge, they don't have any need to know the other part. So trying to back-engineer this uh, technology has probably been in some way hampered by that process, that need-to-know basis. That's good. And um, let's see. So this, this ET technology, which would provide us with free energy, one of the reasons why we're working on this in, in exopolitics is because um, we have the energy uh, technology and the means to completely eliminate gas and coal, all fossil fuels, and run the country, uh, run the world on free energy. Just imagine what that would do for the lives of people. Um, Especially people in third world nations. Yeah, for sure. So gas and oil and coal, um, our whole world runs because of that. So the people that control that have a you know, basically, they really have the world uh, by the throat because we need it to get around. We need it to move goods and services. Um, we're in a really vulnerable position because uh, because of cheap fuel years ago. Of course, it's not cheap anymore. Um, we we took our farmlands and we turned them into suburbs, and people would live in the suburbs and they compute, commute to the city and uh, do their job and then drive back to their suburbs. So we don't have our farmlands anymore. Um, and we depend, we're, we're really dependent on gas uh, and oil to move the goods and services that we need so that we can maintain our lives because we don't have our farms anymore. We've all become specialists in whatever field. And... Uh, when once upon a time in early America we were generalists, you know we would far- we could farm, we could ranch, we could do any number of things that would contribute to being self-sustainable. But now we don't have that anymore because of oil and gas and coal, and being sold this dream of you know, you know, have the American dream, have the house in the suburbs, you know, commute to work and everything else like that. Well, that that dream is uh, really at risk of shattering right now. And yet these technologies that could change the world are sequestered and held in secret projects and not released to the world that they could benefit. So this is one very, very practical, very powerful reason to begin to put pressure to bear on the government, on powers that be, to release this information and this technology to the world. But, it, it, again, it hasn't happened. So in the course of creating the secret government with the National Security Act of 1947, um, people that didn't want to play ball with that, um, a lot of them were eliminated um, or threatened uh, so that they would stay quiet. Um, this really takes a toll on people's lives because uh, carrying around secrets, especially heavy, dark secrets, 
like if you knew that three people were murdered to keep a particular secret and you had to carry that around, you and I both know from an energy medicine standpoint that carrying that kind of thing around can create disease in the body over time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, so there's a real human cost to this kind of secrecy that a lot of people don't talk about. Um, people in the field, they talk about the data, they talk about the research, they talk about the facts that they come out with. Um, but when I watch the Disclosure Project Witness Testimony video, which I have several times because I very much relate to those people, I see the stress in their eyes and on their faces, and, and I hear it in their voice. And I know the toll that it has taken on them to carry around the secrets that they've had to carry around for, for years. And I'm really glad that they finally found a vehicle in which to let those secrets out. I think they'll be better for it in the long run. And so will everybody else, for that matter. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, what applies to an individual applies to the human collective. The human collective cannot be well and healthy and sound when part of it is keeping secrets from the rest. Um, okay. We can't have a healthy. Uh, we can't have a healthy individual if an individual is keeping secrets, uh, especially dark and terrible secrets. And we can't have a healthy human collective on the same level with, um, you know, secrets like this being kept. It seems to me that that the human collective is an ecosystem in its own, based on what you just said. Yes, it, it occurs is. to me that it, that it is an ecosystem, the collective consciousness mm-hmm. of humanity. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's a, that's the thing where. Um, you can look at the fact that what's inside of us is reflected in the outer world. Um, To use the Freudian model, Freud uh, uh, postulated that we have a superconscious mind, a conscious mind, and a subconscious mind. And this is one of the problems I see with uh, extraterrestrial contact is for telepathic ETs, they can see into those parts of ourselves that we can't even touch ourselves. You know, the things that we keep hidden from ourselves, the things that we compartmentalize within ourselves, um, we are an open book to them. And yet they might bring something to our attention from our subconscious, and that could be very frightening. That, that could be one reason why abductions are so frightening for, for certain people. So we have ourselves the compartmentalized consciousness where we hide things from ourselves. And then I think that that is reflected in the larger world with, uh, gov- with government, military, industrial complex that keeps secrets from the rest of the population. So do you see what I'm talking about, kind of a microcosm, macrocosm point of view on that? Exactly. So as long as you're keeping secrets, you can see it out there in the world, even to the level of the government. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's an interesting yeah. point. So we have the shadow government that uh, is keeping secrets for their own personal gain. Any little bits of ET technology that they can develop enough to let it reach the open market, it does. Some of the things that people surmise that have been released are microchip technology, laser technology, fiber optic technology. Um, Those are just to name a few. Now imagine the millions of dollars that those things released to uh, Silicon Valley made for the people who released them. So it's really all about money. It's all about power. And if you have this uh, technology suppressed and sequestered where you control it, then you can release these little bits, and then you look like a genius inventor, and you get all the money for the patent on it. So first off, they're probably being paid by the oil companies to keep this secret so that it doesn't upset the oil cartels. Secondly, the little bits of technology they do manage to develop and use are leaked out, making millions for the people or, and or the projects that um, are working with this different technology. And then uh, people that try to bring the information out are threatened. Um, some of them have been killed. 
and uh, or at the very least harassed. And uh, so it's really pretty, been a pretty effective secret keeping mechanism. But it's one that we can't afford to have anymore. Um, our world is really on the verge of uh, this shift in consciousness. Um, so many things are happening now uh, that are bringing out all the secrets. Um, things are leaking out. Uh, the disclosure project was huge. Over 400 uh, witnesses that were military or ex-military or uh, civilian government employees came forward and testified and agreed to testify before Congress under oath that they had been privy to things relating to extraterrestrials or extraterrestrial technology. Um, there is, uh, I mentioned Robert Dean at the beginning of our call, and there's another man who I have great respect for, which is Clifford Stone. Clifford Stone uh, was a crash retrieval specialist when he was in the Army. And so every time there was a UFO crash, he would go there because he was also sensitive and he could uh, establish some kind of communication with, with the ETs if any happened to survive the crash. And uh, he's, he's been through a lot, too. He was one of the Disclosure Project witness testimony uh, participants. So, uh, again, this kind of secrecy takes a, a huge toll on lives. There, I've given at least some reasons for it. Um, people want power, and they think that having access to this, where they control the technology and the information about the technology, gives them power. Um, Either the uh, oil and uh, gas people are part of it or they're paying them off to keep it secret so that it doesn't upset their oil monopoly. Mm -hmm. um, it's really a tangled web. And uh, it's really time for it to end. We mm -hmm. really want a better world and we can't have it until this ends. And one of the barriers to it coming out, of course, is that uh, so many terrible things have been done uh, to keep the secret that uh, some of the people responsible are probably terrified of this coming out. And then suddenly, after being above and beyond the law for so many years, they're going to have to face the music, possibly. And so um, I believe that there are factions in government that want, it, want the secrecy to fall. They want it all to come out. And then I believe there are others that are holding on with all of their might and all the money and all the power they've managed to garner over the years to try to keep it from coming out because they're afraid to face the music. And this brings me to another point, is that we need an amnesty program. If we're ever that going to hold this That is exactly, exactly what I was going to say. Why not amnesty? Yeah, well, we've got to have an amnesty program, uh, and we need to set up uh, a commission to look at the cases of people who have uh, kept secrets over time, we need to look at them on a case-by-case -case basis. And we need to grant amnesty to most of them, uh, I would guess. Some people might argue we need to grant amnesty across the board. Um, but I think that there are some people who have been involved in these programs that are sociopathic, and I'm not sure that they can be cured and released to the rest of the society. Um, so I would set up a an amnesty commission. I would hear uh, everybody that wants to come forward and come clean. Uh, they go to the commission. They state their case. All the available evidence is reviewed. And then they grant some level of amnesty to that person so that we can get all this stuff out. Because if we don't have amnesty, we don't have a prayer of full disclosure, in my opinion. We've got to have amnesty because a lot of the people that were caught in these black projects and caught in this web of secrecy were unwilling participants. They may have been lured in by the idea of a huge paycheck and big bonuses, uh, knowing things the general public didn't know. And then once they got in, they found out that there were a whole lot of really ugly, unpalatable things that they would have to be uh, privy to. And those people are as much a victim as anybody, and they deserve full amnesty. I totally agree. And I wonder if across the board amnesty is not going to be 
necessary for the people at the very top of the pile to allow this to happen. Yeah. Well, that's fine. I mean, I'm I'm happy to, in, in my personal case, I'm happy to see everybody have amnesty as long as uh, we can guarantee that they're going to take their toys, uh, they're going to retire someplace, and uh, and stay out of the rest of the world's way. Um, no more grabbing power, and no more abuse of it. Uh, that would be, you know, the thing that would have to be the uh, deciding factor. Yeah. Did you see the film Charlie Wilson's War? Uh, no, I didn't. Was that the one about um, the IRS? That was the one about how the United States government, it was about a woman here in Houston who approached a man who was a congressman from Nacogdoches, Texas, who happened to be on the Ways and Means Committee. And he happened to have some contacts, and she happened to have some other contacts, and they put together a deal whereby uh, the Russians who were regularly killing people in Afghanistan because they had superior weaponry um, were run out of Afghanistan but the Afghans never knew where the uh, Russian equipment was coming from uh, because this, this was all done covertly and it never went before Congress. There are certain committees that can fund a project and there are no limits to how much money they can give it and they don't have to run it by the President or Congress or anybody else. And once you see that film, you realize how a few people well-placed can do all kinds of um, unbelievable things with the money of the United States government because there's there are no checks in place. There are no balances. Right. No. Mm-hmm. Well, so, that's the thing. The checks and balances that we have in our normal system of government do not apply to, the nat- to things protected under the National Security Act of 1947. Um, if you try to put something uh, in a court of law that's protected under the National Security Act of 1947, it can, can be thrown out of court in a minute for yep, reasons of national do. security. Yep, reasons of national security. That's all I have to say. Yep, and uh, there's so much that's been hidden. You know, there's mind control programs. These are just nefarious programs, often uh, abusing children from early childhood on in, uh, I hate to say it, in sexual ways. Um, And, you know, using these children over years and years uh, as they grow into adulthood. Um, There's uh, MKUltra, Project Bluebird, Monarch. Those are just some of the names of the uh, information that's come out on mind control programs. And... uh, this is something else that's hidden behind the National Security Act of 1947 for reasons of national security. Well, um, some of your listeners, maybe yourself, might remember that the LSD experiments back in the 60s, um, the government was doing those. Mm-hmm. The military was doing it because they wanted to create a super soldier who would follow orders without question. They experimented um, on people in the VA hospital, too, because my dad took yeah. LSD while he was in the VA hospital under an experiment. Yeah. They asked him if he'd volunteer. This was in the mm-hmm. 60s. Yeah. So that's just one aspect of it, you know, that that was public. And, of course, LSD became kind of a, you know, a psychedelic substance that a lot of people use for mind expansion. Um but, God, I'm so sorry I have this cold. Um, the uh, the thing is, is, is they've been trying for a long time to create some kind of military force that would follow orders without question because normal soldiers have a conscience, they have morals, they have uh, uh, an, an innate knowledge of right and wrong, mm-hmm. and an order uh, an order doesn't have to be followed by a soldier if it violates his conscience. And the other thing is, is it's uncon- if, if it's unconstitutional, uh, there is an organization out there now called Oath Keepers. The website is oathkeepers.org. And um, I've been just finding out about it and learning about it, but, th- but this is uh, a group of military, either veterans, retired, 
um, or still active duty who are choosing to stand firm in their oath to defend the United States and its Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And, oh, uh, my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. The yeah. implications of that are enormous. They are. Mm-hmm. So if they get if they get an, issued an order that violates their constitutional oath, they're stating that they will not follow it. And, and these when are you think active, about active members of the military belong to this? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Wow. That's the way it ought to be. It's kind of like drawing a line. You know, you have to look at people in uniform, whether they're a peace officer or whether they're active duty or anywhere, and you have to look in the mirror, I guess, uh, on an individual basis. You have to look in the mirror and say, okay, am I going to be a mercenary or am I going to be a warrior? A mercenary takes money to enrich himself uh, no matter what it costs the other side no matter whether it's right or wrong. And we have a really, really great example of that in Avatar, this movie that's you know making billions of dollars. Um, in Avatar, they had that military force that was trying to take over uh, mineral deposits on Pandora. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't care who they destroyed to get to those mineral deposits. So they were using that force like mercenaries, taking money from the company, getting bonuses and everything else like that to destroy the indigenous population. Fortunately, in Avatar, they didn't get away with it. But a warrior has honor, conscience, heart. A warrior is uh, something different than a mercenary. And so again, I would say every person in the military, whether you're a man or you're a woman, or if you're a peace officer or a sheriff or anything, you've got to look in the mirror and you have to ask yourself, do you stand up for this constitution that was supposed to make this country into a really great place to live? Do you stand up for constitutional law and what's right and good in yourself? Or are you a mercenary who's just going to take money to enforce the policies of whoever's in power? Everybody has to look in the mirror and ask themselves that question. That's phenomenal. I am so happy that happened. I'm so glad yeah, that website is there because that's the way it's supposed to be. Yep. So we put an end to this secrecy. We have a chance of taking our government back. Or um, the secrecy is going to be like a cancer and it will take everything down. Hopefully it won't take a lot of good people down with it. And then we're going to have to rebuild something from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, this is a very interesting time in human history where we have so many new energies coming into the planet, so many new energies that are forcing what's been hidden for so long into the light. Um, and I think it all adds up to the shift in consciousness that we all feel inside ourselves, those of us who are sensitive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is, um, so that, is, again, is oathkeepers.org. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good one to find. Yep. Mm-hmm. And to forward to all our friends who are in the military or sheriffs or policemen. Right. Uh, that would be great. Because most people, I mean, the whole popularity of Avatar is that people wanted to go see the Navi triumph. They wanted to see the indigenous population survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. They, they loved the connection that they had to their environment. And they wanted to see the mercenaries be defeated. You know, the reason that that movie is making billions of dollars is because it's speaking to the hearts and souls of all the people that are seeing it. And many people are seeing it, me included, multiple times because it's a message that we all want to see and we all want to hear. So that tells me that the majority of people, really, they they have heart, they have conscience, they have honor, and they right. understand those principles. The, the secret government people, they're a very small group in comparison to the rest of us. Exactly. 
So we are the ones who should say how it's going to be. They work for us, actually. Our government is supposed to work for us. They're not supposed to work for corporations. They're supposed to work for the people. Exactly. When I went to see Avatar, there was a group of about, I want to say about 12 to 15 men, who, young men, late 20s, early 30s, who came in together. Mm-hmm. And they were from a another country. Couldn't tell you if it was India or some other country in that very in that area. Um, people clearly of a different race than I am, and they came in doing a strange war cry, strange war hoop, and I thought, oh, my God, what is this? And they went and sat up in the back together. And then when people started in the film making the war hoop, I went, oh, this is not their first time to see this film. And they came in a group, which I thought was awesome. Mm -hmm. And there were people from all over the world in that movie theater. I mean, as I said earlier, Houston's got a lot of people from foreign countries, and there were just families, large numbers of people coming in groups to see it, which I thought was just awesome. I loved it. Yeah. I think yeah, it's going to change wonderful. it's going to change consciousness a lot that just just that one movie. Yeah, I believe it will too. I really think so. So if anybody so, not seen Avatar, get down there and see it with the guy yeah. on. <laughs> uh-huh. It's, it's yeah. breathtaking. It's a breathtaking film. Yeah, it's amazing. So, um the next point I wanted to bring up is um I think, you know, we've kind of covered pretty well that we created a secret uh, uh a secret force in our government with the National Security Act of 1947 been perpetuated over the years with money, threats, and even violence. Um, they've hidden all manner of things behind it. Uh, they've sequestered ET technology that could really free this world um, from oil monopolies. Um, they've hidden mind control programs. They've hidden so many other things, biological warfare agents. Uh, there's a lot of talk uh, out on the Internet about the swine flu that the pandemic was manufactured, the swine flu, the H1N1, may have been engineered in the laboratory and released. Um, All these kinds of things get hidden behind that wall of secrecy. So that wall of secrecy is one we can't afford to have on the kind of planet that we want to live on, the kind of planet that I believe most people want to live on, peace and cooperation and sustainability. So all the secrets are beginning to leak out, it's like a dam breaking. Um, and early on, when the dam started having cracks here and there, they could run and plug those cracks. Whether it meant threatening someone or killing someone to keep the secret, they could plug those cracks. But now there are so many cracks in that wall or that dam of secrecy that the smart people, I think, are standing back and they're just going to let it break. But the people with the most to lose and the people that may have uh, to face, you know, some real serious criminal charges, they're running around still like mad trying to patch those cracks and do what they can to discredit people. And, but I think the dam is breaking, and I think uh, we are going to see things come out uh, eventually. I just feel like it has to happen. I, I want to inject something here that just popped into my head. A friend of mine told me once that he... Um, he was training people in Reiki and Reiki masters in Europe, and this was maybe 15 or between 15 and 20 years ago. And they all got together and um, did a, a group meditation on the Berlin Wall falling mm. and that being dismantled. And do you remember how all of a sudden one day the Berlin Wall came down? Yes, I do. Well, they take credit for that. <laughs> and and I do know that large groups of people meditating together for a purpose can affect change. I mean, that's been measured. Yeah. James Twyman's work has proven that that, can, that that is a possibility. So what I want to put out there is perhaps someone should get together and organize group meditation on dismantling the shadow government and all secrets being known to all men. Yep, I think that's a very fine idea. (laughs) 
So we just have to recruit the person who's going to organize that. Yeah, yeah, we would need to do that. Um, it's really, really a good idea because um, I took last week. I took a look at uh, some of uh, Dean Radden's uh, work. He wrote a book called Entangled Minds, mm-hmm. and um, the, the work that he's finding is that it really takes the collective, all caring about the same thing and all holding it in their consciousness in a focused way to really enact real change. He said the example that he gave is like one individual might focus on winning the lottery, and yet week after week goes by and he doesn't win the lottery. And Dean Redden says, that's because the whole collective doesn't care whether you win the lottery or not. The whole collective (laughs) isn't focused on that. You're just one piece of the collective. So if we get an entire collective of people uh, focusing on secrecy, uh, or let's not say focus on secrecy, but focus on... Transparency. Openness. Governmental transparency. Focusing on governmental transparency. Yeah, focus on what it is we want, Mm -hmm. uh, then I think that it would have a significant effect. And I think it's an idea that's actually catching hold of the collective as more and more comes out. I think it sounds like a very powerful and important project. Yeah, I think so too. And it may uh, one just, of the happen, it may just happen naturally, or it may be that someone will just organize that kind of meditation. It, you mm-hmm. know, a certain time each week, everybody meditates on that particular. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I know that uh, when Obama was running for president, um, there was a website that said if, something about if the world could vote in the United States election, you know, how how many would cast their vote for which candidate. And Barack Obama got, I think, 87% of the the vote of the world, of those of the world that went there to cast their vote. And then we know, of course, he won kind of a, in a landslide here in the, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And um, while we haven't seen Obama really do anything, you know, to enact a lot of the change that he talked about as his campaign platform, um, I think the change is coming because I think all those human hearts that voted Obama into office, whether here in this country or whether the ones that just energetically supported him around the world, all those human hearts cried out together wanting change, wanting something better. That sent a powerful, powerful wave out into the collective throughout all of our consciousness, throughout all of our world. And I think that good things can't help but happen from that wave that went out from all those hearts. I agree with you very much so. Yeah. So whether Obama stands for change himself um, or not, he may have no choice but to be a fulcrum for it (laughs) uh, in the end. I think he was presented with a a multitude of problems when he got into office and with um, things we may or may not even know about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. that uh, he's actually doing the best he can. I still mm-hmm. believe that he's really serious about wanting change. Yeah. That's just my that's my opinion. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of different opinions out there. I'm kind of reserving mine. I mean, I, I voted for him. I wanted to believe in him. Um, but I have a lot. My faith in the government process and who gets to be president has been pretty damaged over the years, as you can imagine, yeah. uh, with the kinds of things I've had to delve into and look at just to understand what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still, you know, giving him the benefit of the doubt if he can really uh, turn things around and, and really come through for us. I hope that's true. I do, too. So... Um is there anything we have not covered that you want to cover? Well, um, I'd like to talk about exopolitics a little bit. Um, in the U- traditional ufology, uh, UFO researchers and field, it's kind of come under fire as embracing a lot of different things. Um, but I still maintain for myself uh, that UFOs, uh, extraterrestrial craft, when people see them, 
and the people that, that have seen them do particular maneuvers, and this reminds me, I need to also interject here, that um, in the Disclosure Project witness testimony video that is available on Google Video, um, would want to look up Disclosure Project uh, on Google Video, uh, there is a section there where a couple of different people give testimony to the fact that UFOs or ET craft flew over nuclear facilities and shut down nuclear missile silos. I believe uh, 16 were shut down in Malmstrom Air Force Base. Uh, I think that's Idaho or Montana, someplace up north. And uh, shut shut them all down. And when it shut them down, um, it scrambled the codes, um, it shut down the regular power, it shut down the backup generators, and it shut down the battery power. So there was no way to launch these things. Um, all their triple redundant systems were shut down for days. And it was days before they could get them back up again. So that really, and yet, if that was a prelude to an alien invasion, you would think, well, they would fly in, shut down our nukes, and then they would invade, right? Well, they didn't. They just came and shut down the nukes as if to say, sorry, kids, you're not going to play with those particular matches, and then took off. They just basically sent a message that nuclear energy and nuclear weapons are not okay. Another UFO uh, interfered with a nuclear mis missile test where they shot the missile into the atmosphere um, and... A UFO came in and shot it from several different directions with some kind of beam, and then the nuclear missile tumbled out of the sky inert. Its uh, payload was uh, made to be inert. So uh, they really do not want us messing around with nuclear energy. And uh, the only concern I have for that is if our government knows that they're not going to be allowed to wage a nuclear war and use that as yet another means to inflict terror, um, then I've been a little concerned about the proliferation of bioweapons. And we have had, uh, in recent years, a huge number, uh, uh, you know, statistically high number of microbiologist deaths. Oh you just Google God. the term microbiologist deaths on Google. You'll find it. You'll find that uh, a, a a huge, uh, quite a number of microbiologists have died uh, very close together. And so that's been a little bit of concern to me as well. So, because they wouldn't play along, you think? Because they wouldn't play along. They have heart. They have conscience. They don't want to see people hurt uh, and killed or terrorized. Uh, so they want to go public with what they know, and then suddenly they come up... Uh, not alive anymore. Yeah. And uh, so that kind of brings me to exopolitics and why I think exopolitics is one of the best games we have going for disclosure. Um, I started talking about UFOs there a minute ago, and my question that I ask is, if UFOs or ET craft demonstrate abilities that defy our known laws of physical physics. Uh, they execute turns. They go extremely fast to the point of disappearing in seconds. Um, sharp right angle turns, uh, vector types of turns. Um, if they can do, if those crafts can do the things that they're reported to do and defy the Newtonian laws of physics to do it, then they're exhibiting properties that are multidimensional in nature. Uh, Sergeant Major uh, retired uh, Robert O'Dean says the same thing. He said that the military did a study on uh, extraterrestrials and their craft, and they concluded that they were interstellar. Some of them were interstellar. Some of them uh, were also interdimensional in their origin. So if we're studying beings and craft and technology that can travel between or through dimensions, how on earth are we supposed to pin that down 
to specific 3D Newtonian laws of physics type of evidence. We can't do it. We have to expand a little bit. We have to expand a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you the exopolitics definition uh, that I got from Paula Harris, who is a, a well-known woman researcher in the UFO field. Um, and her exopolitics definition is, exopolitics is the convergence of a new interdisciplinary science, an international political movement, and a new paradigm, which all deal with the wide range of implications of extraterrestrial life. And so in there it says interdisciplinary science and the wide range of implications of extraterrestrial life. So that means that we really need to be looking at the whole enchilada. We can't just pick the pieces of it that fit into our box and say, okay, well, we'll just look at this and we'll leave everything else out. Can't do that. This, um, The ET phenomenon is one of sightings, witness testimony, abductions, contacts, um, and so many different things, crop circles. There are so many different aspects to the ET phenomenon and the way that it's impacting our world. And we need to look at all of it. And we need to look at the models that science currently can give us in quantum mechanics to begin to understand it. And we also need to realize that our quantum mechanics science in, in, our, in our world is in its infancy. It's just barely getting out there. But ETs may have a mastery of that kind of knowledge. You know, and I know that it frightens a lot of people to think that um, there are beings out there with that much more knowledge and that much more power, because power on this planet means that the strong and the technologically powerful conquer the weak. And that's in our racial consciousness. But it may not be out there in the universe. Um, I tend to think that beings that have learned to harness that kind of energy and have learned to tap energy from the universal energy field to run their craft, uh, they understand the unity. They understand the, the principle that we are all one. And I think that the ETs that we have yet to meet, uh, at least openly, and on a, on a global level, I think they're the ones that we really want to meet because they understand the spiritual principle. They understand, to me, that they would understand that, that science and spirituality are not separate disciplines and philosophies. They are one and the same. They've managed to bring that synthesis of the two together again, whereas on our planet they're still separated and, and kind of fighting with each other. If they I had believe not, they're really one science and one discipline. Really, if they had not developed some level of spiritual mastery and they had that level of technological development, they would have destroyed themselves long ago. Right, right. Because they would have misused the power, which is what we project onto them when we're afraid of them. Yep. So we've got so, about one minute left. Is there any jewel you want to impart before we say goodbye? Sure. Well, among the other jewels you have already imparted. Oh, well, thank you, Lois. Um, I would just say, this is kind of my philosophy. You know, we've talked about some dark things in this call. And um, I would just say, keep a weather eye. Be aware and keep just a little bit of your peripheral attention on these things. But keep the majority of your energy and your attention on the world that we all want to create. You know, peace, cooperation, sustainability, love, and caring for each other. Keep the majority of your attention there. Deal with your fears as they arise in as positive and proactive a manner as you possibly can, and then return your focus to that beautiful world that we all want in our hearts. Because we have to focus on what we want, not what on we don't. Uh, not on what we don't. Exactly. So that we can manifest exactly. what we want. Thank right. you so much for being with us today. I've enjoyed this so much. I really appreciate Thank you. it. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Thanks very much, Lois. Take care. Thanks to all the listeners who've joined us and will join us in the future in the archives.
Thank you.